We're going to begin in your Bibles over in Mark chapter 6, if you want to turn there or look up on the screen, whichever your preference is. But there is a difference between those who do honorable things and those who have a spirit of honor. There is also a difference between those who do dishonorable things and those who walk in a spirit of dishonor. So today we're going to take a look at what makes the difference. Last week we were looking at honoring what God honors and that Esau and Jacob and Isaac had different roles here. Esau didn't honor the things that God honored. He honored the things that Esau honored. Jacob didn't always, but he was moving his his honoring to the things of God. And Isaac, we saw he took the words that God had said and dishonored them and went against them. we got to make sure that we honor the things that God honors if we're going to walk in the blessings that he would have for us. As we look at the things going on here today, we're going to see another theme, and this is one we, we talked to you about, and that is the grace, mercy, and our faith draws the blessings and the favor of God to us. But when we walk in dishonor, we drive them away. When we walk in honor, we reel them in. We're going to see that again here in the passages we look at in Mark chapter 6. Now, being a person of honor, I put this in your outline for you if you want to fill this in. Being a person of honor is not just doing actions of honor, but in having a spirit of honor. There are times we can just go through emotions and have words that sound like they're words of honor or have actions that are of honor, but we got to make sure that we have the spirit of honor. Many people today, they have a spirit of dishonor. They think it is their right to dishonor those in authority, to dishonor other people, to dishonor other people's property, and to dishonor other people's businesses. They think to honor is to agree with and to dishonor is merely what one does to disagree. To not dishonor is to give the impression that you agree. And that comes straight from the pit of hell. That is, there is no God in that at all. I can act in an honorable way and not be in agreement. You know that God honors you even though He doesn't always agree with everything you do? He still acts in an honorable way to you and He speaks honorably of you. Thank God He still honors you and your stuff. Dishonor is not just disobeying. Sometimes we may think that, well, if I dishonor, it's just because I disobey. But you can dishonor in obeying by what you say or the attitude you have in obeying. Someone was, uh, I was listening to her, somebody here in the church in a conversation was talking about this concept, using another term for it. I cannot remember what term they used. But sometimes we have, we obey, but we're not doing it with the right attitude. Or, well, here I, here I obeyed, <laughs> but look at my disobedience. And you can see it in them. You can see it in their attitude. I did what you told me to do, but um, but that was all. And I'm still not walking in the honor that I should. There's a cartoon that some time ago we had put in your in your bulletin. A little boy sitting in the corner. Because apparently his mom had told him to go sit in the corner. And he says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> and sometimes that comes with... With us as Christians, outwardly, I seem to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but inwardly, it's not so. That's not a person of honor. Now, you can allow a spirit of dishonor to attach itself to you. 
Not saying you're possessed or anything like that, but you can have a spirit of dishonor that comes and attaches itself to you. We're going to take a look at what happened to Jesus from people who likely loved and enjoyed him at times past. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Then he went out from there and came to his own country. I believe where he came from was Capernaum, where he had done a number of miracles. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. How many came to hear him? Many. It said, and many hearing him were astonished. So he came to the town. They invited him, of course, to come to the Sabbath. This is the up-and-coming teacher in the region. And here he had come home. And so we want to see what's, what's going on. We want to see what has been happening in all these other cities. None of this stuff happened while Jesus was here growing up. None of this stuff happened when Jesus was growing up and ran the household. But he leaves and all these things are happening. Miracles are occurring. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Great miracles. Paralyzed people. They're walking. Blind people are seeing. Deaf people are hearing. This is amazing. We've heard, heard the people speak about how he taught And now he has come here. We need to come and we need to hear this. This is his hometown. Now this is, these are small towns. You know everybody in the, in the hometown. It's not like we have today. You can have neighbors three doors down and you have no idea who they are. Uh, I know they live there. I think I've seen their faces, but I don't know who they are. (laughs) What are their names? I don't know. We don't, we don't know anything about them. But that's not how it used to be. It used to be that you kind of knew everybody. Now when I grew up, we kind of did know everybody in the in the community, uh, and we knew uh, their their connections, uh, what kind of dog they had, um, whether they were nice, whether they were mean. And you know, we as, as kids we labeled certain ones. You know, well, that's a mean one over there. Don't walk on their grass. They'll come get you. And uh, and other ones that you didn't. Have, but but we we knew everybody, and we would walk around the neighborhood. I, I think it's a strange thing anymore. But back when we were kids, I would say, oh, I'm going to go over to so-and-so's house. And, you know, they're three or four blocks away. And mom and dad didn't think anything of it. You know, go ahead and go. And we went on out there. And, you know, the main thing is, you know, when we were kids, uh, you may have grown up like this too, you, you came home when the streetlights came on. And the streetlights were coming on. That's your cue. You're going home. Because we weren't carrying watches. There's no kid, in, uh, no, no friend of mine had a watch on. I think we would have ridiculed them if they did. <laughs> But you know, we're out there playing football, we're out there playing hockey, we're out there roughing housing, and uh, probably a watch wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have all that stuff on there. We would, we would go out from the, uh, the Saturday morning, we would go out in the morning, and, and we might come home for lunch, and uh, otherwise we're not home until dinner. And uh, no one had to tell us what to do, we found stuff to do. Maybe not all of it was good. <laughs> For the most part, we stayed safe, and and we uh, we did okay. But we had fun. We uh, were were excited to wake up in the morning and to go out and to do things. This is this is that was. But anymore, you know, you can have neighbors, and if they're not right next to you, you probably don't know who they are. Probably don't know anything about them. You have to uh, make an effort in order to do that. Well, here. As Jesus came on home, this was a small town. They all knew, knew Jesus. They knew Jesus when he was growing up. They saw Jesus from the time he was a couple of years old when he came back from Egypt and they settled over here in Nazareth. He was a few years old by the time he got there. 
But from there all the way up until he was 30 and they knew him. And he was in a, in a trade. And so for many of them, he probably worked for them. He probably did some things. And as you, as you're at the house, you know, and you're, you're working on things, they probably had some conversations. And, uh, you know, I have the uh, making bunk beds that I, I do. You go into people's houses and you generally have conversations with them. And uh, that's not uncommon for, for me to have these kind of things. But a lot of times the kids like to stay in the room and, uh, and watch. Now, some kids like to talk and some kids just want to watch. And I had one lady who called, she called me up. I was uh, going down to Delaware and delivering. And she said, uh, oh, you're a pastor. My daughter has all kinds of Bible questions. Would you mind if she asked you some Bible questions when you're here sitting at the bed? I said, I absolutely have her sit on in the room. We'll ask, answer all the questions that I can. And so we sat in the room. Now, normally for this type of a bed, it was just a twin over twin, which is my you know, simplest thing. And I can generally assemble one in 30 minutes. I can just have it put all the, not calling it up to the room, but usually I can have it set up, set up in 30 minutes. And, uh, I was even telling them beforehand, you know, I just set up one just like this, and I was, uh, out of the place in 30 minutes. It took me an hour and a half. Because she kept firing off all these questions, and they were, and she seemed to be, she reminded me of my daughter when my daughter was growing up. Uh, the simple, the simple Bible answer is not going to do. She wants, all the things. And so one of the answers she gave me was creation. Now, if you've ever heard me get on the topic of creation, you know, I have a lot of stuff I can say about creation. And so we were talking to her about all the things that were involved. I didn't give her everything in there, but I think we stayed on that one question for about 20, 25 minutes. And we were talking about that and she would ask questions until we were going through. And well, I'm spending as much time answering the question as I am putting the bunk bed together. And, and so it took a little bit more time. But you know, you get to know people when you're in there. And, and and doing that, and you know, when I go into a, into a room, I'm not much of a mask person. But if they uh, ask me to, you know, I'll put a mask on when I'm in the house. But if they want me to put a mask on, that cuts off certain things for me. So if they want me to put a mask on when I'm around them, then I say, well, that's fine. I'll do that. I'll bring this stuff on in. But then once I'm in the room, I close the door. Now I'm not talking to anybody, and then I take my mask off, and, and then I go about doing my work, and then I'll put it back on, go say goodbye to them, and then leave. <laughs> But if they uh, if they don't do it, this one we're down in Delaware, she came on out, she had the mask on and all that sort of stuff. And um, I, so I saw her with it, and I said, now if you'd like, I have a mask, I can go in the car and get it and put it on. And she said, oh no, I just put this on because I thought it might be uh, make you feel comfortable. I said, nope, you can leave it off. She took that thing right off, and then we were in there just con- conversing and, and chatting and not having any issues at all. But you know, you have one of those things on, it certainly hinders the, the conversation. But... Here, Jesus is showing up at their houses, and he's probably doing some work. And yeah, we just had Jesus come on by the house, and he just was doing this particular stuff over here. He helped this uh, out with this. And you know, his trade was carpenter. Of course, a lot of people get that mixed up, and they seem, oh, you're a pastor and you're a carpenter. Oh, just like Jesus. <laughs> no, not exactly. You see, Jesus was a carpenter, but they didn't have a whole lot of wood back in his day, so he was more of a stone worker than a woodworker. I'm sure that there's probably some things that did with wood. But, uh, you know, if, if you are a stone worker, as compared to a, a mere carpenter, one who works with, with wood, um, I get the idea that Jesus was built. He was muscular. Because I don't think you can be a stone worker and be, be small. you got to be bigger than the stone. <laughs> so I think Jesus was a... a not because he went out to the gym to work out, just because of, of doing the stuff that he did. He probably had some muscle on him. 
he was probably an impressive figure to look at just uh, from from that standpoint. But anyway, he's over there doing the doing the work, having some conversations, and so all these people had conversations with Jesus while he was doing the the work for them, and while he would be uh, walking out to the to the store or walking around the street, they had conversations. They would do this all the time, so they knew him. And they're wondering, they're astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? We talked to this man. We haven't heard this kind of teaching come from him. You see, now he's teaching under the anointing. There is a difference between teaching and knowing stuff and teaching under the anointing. And Jesus was now teaching under that anointing, and they hadn't seen this before. This was this was new. Where did he get these, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Well, they heard about them. They didn't see them. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now Jesus calls the people of his hometown unbelieving. Unbelieving does not mean ignorant. They they heard. They heard about Jesus. They heard the things that Jesus was teaching. It's that they heard them, they saw them, or they heard about people who saw them, and they decided not to believe. An unbelieving person is one who hears the truth or sees certain things, signs and wonders, and decides not to believe them. So they are not unbelieving because they haven't heard, but because they rejected what they had seen and what they had heard. Now, understand, they don't even struggle to try and believe. They just decide, you know what? We're not going to believe it. They become offended because one whom they knew and put limits on was exceeding them. So they saw Jesus and they decided as Jesus was growing up, well, Jesus, you know, he'll become this and he's probably going to be a very good carpenter. I don't know if he'll be a great carpenter, but I think he's going to be a very good carpenter. I think he's going to be very good at what he does. And I know a couple of people that are just outstanding in the trade. I don't think he's going to to quite get to that level, but, you know, he seems very competent, seems very good. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's going to make a good husband to someone and he's probably going to raise a nice family and... And they probably had certain expectations of where he was going to be and what he would become. And then he exceeded them. He went above them. He became something they didn't even see. We didn't see him becoming a teacher and a miracle worker and a a, a prophet or whatever it is that they decided to categorize him as. Certainly they didn't call him Messiah. We didn't see him becoming these kind of things. This is just... We didn't, we didn't see this. How can this thing be? We didn't see this in him before. We capped him over here as a carpenter. This is, this is where he is. He's going to be a carpenter. He's going to be a pretty good one. Uh, but we didn't see anything like this going on. So because he exceeded what they had thought he would do, thought he'd become, they became offended. Now, why would you get offended because somebody became somebody good? It's easy. We probably have done it ourselves. Because I see that God has blessed this person over here. God has put this strong anointing on this person over here. And I knew them growing up. And I know I'm better. I know I'm a better Christian. I know I've been more faithful. I know I'm more deserving. And there's no way that God would have picked him 
and put that gifting on him and bypass me. And they became offended. Because why would God have done this? Who is Jesus that these things are put on him? Now, see, people in other towns, they didn't know Jesus this way. They didn't put those caps on him. They didn't have those limitations. All they saw was who Jesus was when he showed up, and they accepted that. But these folks, they knew him from little little guy. So I'm growing on up. And, well, I can't, uh, I can't accept that anymore. You know, we'll see this sometimes in churches, too. You get a church that's been around for a while, and some of the kids that were born into the church are now serving on ministry teams. And some of the people who were teachers, all those ones when they were little, are now being ministered to by those ministry teens. And they may sit back there and say, well, this is real good. I'm sure that they can minister to certain ones in the church, but, you know, not me. I mean, I taught them the things that they know. How are they going to minister to me? And we can have that same kind of thing happen in churches even today. But he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Now, in Luke chapter 4, it gives us the first time he came to his hometown, but it talks about some other things. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Typically, they give you the scroll. And what would happen here is that not everybody has a Bible. It's not like today where you brought your Bible to church. The Bible, the scroll, was in the synagogue. They spent a lot of money to have one, but each town had a synagogue, and they had the, the Bible in it, and so that was your Bible for the town. And so what would happen on the, the Sabbath and on other days too is that you would come into the synagogue, they would open up the scroll to the place where it was left off. And you would begin to read and you would read the next passage of Scripture and by this, people who don't have a Bible can hear the Bible being read. And so you would you would read until that passage is over. Then you would seal it up and give it back to the attendant and then it would be put in a protected place until the next time that it would come. And then it would be brought out and you would pick up reading where it was. But notice that it said here, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he skipped past where they left off. And if you were just in synagogue, the last time the reading was done, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not where we left off. I know what's supposed to come next. (laughs) But he found the place where it was written. Now, it's in a scroll. You can't quite find the place where it is written the way that we do. You know, we, we thumb on through. We find Isaiah. We find chapter 66. This is where he's reading from. And then we start to read. That's not how they did it. They had a scroll. And so if you want to find a place where you want to, you want to go, you've got to unroll it. So if they were on what we would call chapter 33... And he wants to go to chapter 66. He's unrolling, unrolling, unrolling. And they're probably sitting there. What's he doing? Just read it. And they could be getting bothered because we're going out of order here. Just read it. You know, it's it's a bit of a process to to unroll this thing. You got to roll this one up, unroll this one, roll this one up. Because they treated them with care. You can't just tear this thing, rip this thing. You gotta really treat it with care. So we're unrolling, rolling, unrolling, 
rolling. Oh, wait a minute, I'll tell you yet. Here it is. Because he knows where he's going. And he knows what he wants to read. And so he finds it. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now here's a side note. This may not mean anything to you. You may never have even known this. But at some point in time, you may come across a criticism of this passage. The criticism is this. That part I just read for you. Recovery of sight to the blind. If you go over to the book of Isaiah and you open it up, you will see it's not there. So why does Jesus read this? If it's not there. Does Jesus insert this into the text? Now, how many people have never heard of that before? Okay, number of you. All right. It's not true. I'm not trying to bring any doubt upon the Scripture. Here's what they don't tell you when they begin to try and criticize. There's critics out there who just want to criticize the Bible and they want to find whatever they can to, to do this. It is true that the actual Hebrew of Isaiah does not contain this phrase, at least the copies that we have. But what they won't tell you is the Septuagint does. How many people don't know what the Septuagint is? It's okay if you raise your hand. It's, it's, it's a big long word and it's a, if you ever see in your Bible LX, anybody ever seen the letters a capital L and a capital X in your Bible? That stands for, I don't know, I can tell you why, but it, I'm not going to get into all, it stands for Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. They translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek when the the uh, when the Greeks went around and conquered the world and taught everybody Greek, they made a uh, basically a new King James, for <laughs> or a, or a, uh, a new living translation or whatever. They just made a new translation of it. When they did the Septuagint, they put that phrase in there, which means whatever manuscript they were looking at to translate that had it in it. So that phrase does belong in Scripture was in Scripture. Somehow it fell out of the Hebrew, of the older manuscripts of the Hebrew that we have and we've seen. But since it's in the Septuagint, it came from something. So I just wanted to, if anybody ever tries to criticize, just, it's gone, just throw it out. You don't need to hear that. What we have in the Bible is inspired of God and it's true. So just uh, just keep that in mind. But anyway, this is what he says. And it's not so much of a problem what he's reading here. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Well, he did something out of the normal. Why are you reading this? And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which had proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, 
to a woman who was a widow, and many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So if you if you uh, remember the story where they were ready to throw Jesus over the cliff, it was his hometown friends, the people he grew up with, who when he came through the gate, oh, Jesus is here. We get to see this tremendous thing we've been hearing about. And before the service is over, they're so mad at him and so offended, they're ready to throw him over a cliff. Now, are they honoring to Jesus? They certainly are not. But Jesus here has put himself in a very honored and anticipated prophecy from Isaiah 61. I mean, I said 66 before, but it's Isaiah 61. The um, He said today this scripture is fulfilled. Wait a minute, this scripture is being fulfilled by Messiah. You're saying that you're fulfilling this scripture that we have looked forward to all these years? You're saying now this is done? You're saying you came in here and you changed the way we do things and you read your own little little scripture that you wanted to read? And then you want to tell us that you are the one who has done this? We know who you are. We knew how you grew up. And we're not accepting this. And they became offended. So much so they're ready to throw them over a cliff. And it said he could do there no mighty work. Which means he was sent there to do some mighty works. But he couldn't do them because of their unbelief. Because they rejected Jesus. You see, faith, the faith that you have, the grace of God and the mercy of God will draw what you need to you. But when you operate in dishonor, you can drive it away. They dishonored Jesus and they drove away the very source of what they needed. You, how many know there are probably people in this town who could use the ministry of Jesus right now? There are probably some people who were deaf, probably some people who were lame, probably some people who uh, suffered different things. And Jesus was there prepared to change their life. Probably some demon-possessed people. Boy, Israel sure seemed to have a lot of demon-possessed people, didn't they? Jesus is casting them out all over the place. Sending his disciples out, they cast demon spirits out. I put in your outline this, dishonor shut down the power of God in Jesus to do good things for them because at the root of dishonor is a proud and haughty spirit. At the root of any dishonor is a proud and a haughty spirit. You look at anyone in our modern day, anyone in history, anyone here in the Bible, when they operate in a place of dishonor, they are in a place of being proud and haughty. Who is this Jesus? Who is this son of Mary and Joseph? We know his brothers. We know what kind of job he had. Don't you tell me that you are some divine thing. We saw you grow up. In Proverbs chapter 21 verse 24, this is from the ESV. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. This is the lamp of the wicked. And you look at people who walk in dishonor. They are lit. 
they are lighted, their way is lighted by the pride and the haughtiness that they have. Why are you in here doing this destruction? Why are you in here doing this harm to these people? Why are you doing this harm to these people in this business? Why are you doing, because I have been wronged. They have determined that I have been wronged. They have determined that people have done things against me. And therefore I have a right to take it out on people who are not even involved. That is that proud and haughty spirit that gets people to operate in dishonor. And this happened way, way back before Adam and Eve. What did Satan say that brought all the trouble to begin with? I will ascend. I will be like. He had all these I wills. All these things I am going to be. Pride got hold of him. He was haughty. He decided to rise up. I can defeat God. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. In Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. A man's pride will bring him low. It'll take you down. You try and puff yourself up, but it'll bring you down. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. So even though Jesus, who was the most anointed man in his day, he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and people found fault with him, people found reason to be offended. Don't be surprised when they do it to you. Now in Numbers chapter 12 verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now if you've been around here for a while, we've talked about this before, but not everybody has been, so we'll just give you the history on this. The reason they got upset, well we actually don't know the exact reason. We know that they didn't like him marrying this foreign woman. It could be that they were upset because this foreign woman served other gods. It also could be that this foreign woman was a darker skin color than he was. I'm not saying Moses was white. He's probably some kind of an olive type of skin. I guess they they described it. But Ethiopian, well, she was not olive skinned. She was darker skinned. How dark? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. You know why the Bible doesn't tell us? Apparently it's not important. It doesn't make a big deal. But they got upset. Now they could be upset because she's a foreign woman. They could be upset because he got married again. Because he was married. Remember? She got mad and she left. uh, But he was married before. They could be upset because he got married again. They could be upset because he's marrying someone of a different race. They could be upset for all kinds of reasons What we'll tell you this is God doesn't care. And God gets upset with them because they got upset with Him over this matter. So, so they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, what are they upset about? They're upset because Moses married this Ethiopian woman for whatever the reason was. We don't know exactly. It doesn't tell us. We can pick out some reasons that maybe they were upset with. We don't know. But that's where it was. And But what are the words out of their mouth? Why did he pick a nice Jewish girl? He didn't say that, did he? Why did he just stay single? They don't bring any of these matters up. 
the thing that they bring up has nothing to do with him marrying this Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Don't we hear from God? How is it that only Moses and what he says is what God says? I don't think that's so. I think we can hear some things too from God. I don't think God just speaks to Moses. I think he's spoken some things to us. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us also? Now, who are they saying this to? Are they saying it to Moses? No. How do you know that? Take a look at what they said. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? In other words, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam are here talking about this. And they're talking about, can you believe he married that woman? And then they start talking about the reasons why they're upset that he married this particular woman. Whatever the reasons were. they. And then they start talking, you know what? I don't think that God only speaks to Moses. God was just talking to me yesterday about some stuff. Yeah, he speaks to us too. And that's where you have your, your phraseology. He speaks to us too. So they're not saying that God doesn't speak to Moses. They're saying he speaks to us too. And the Lord heard it. When you speak words of dishonor, when you fall into evil speaking, backbiting, all that sort of stuff, the Lord hears it. A lot of times we say these things because no one is around to hear it. Now, I'm sure no one here in this room has, but maybe you have friends who have done this, or maybe they told you stories of it, where they were talking about something, and then all of a sudden that person showed up, and they felt uncomfortable. Hmm. I wanted to say this, but I didn't want you to hear me. And then they'll do one of two things. Either they get real apologetic or they get aggressive. Well, I did say that and I meant it too. (laughs) Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Who wrote this? Does that seem funny to you? Does it seem odd that someone would say, I'm humble? My dad used to always tease about the book he wanted to, to write, The Seven Most Humble Men in the World and How I Met the Other Six. <laughs> Humility and how I obtained it. <laughs> and it's funny because our idea of humility is that if you are humble, you can never admit to it. But if I want to become something, don't I need to know if I can ever get there? If God told us to be humble, don't I have to begin to acknowledge I did it? If God says don't be prideful, don't I have to acknowledge that I'm prideful? Why is it that I can acknowledge I'm prideful, but I can't acknowledge that I'm humble? And so we think that just by Moses penning these words tells us, Well, he wasn't that humble. But he was. You see, humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. We put that in the bulletin for you the other other week. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Moses didn't think of himself all the time. He thought of the people. 
He thought of what he needed to do to be a better minister for them, a better prophet for them. Now suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Apparently he's speaking to all of them now. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. <laughs> now, how would you respond if you were here having this uh, with the three of you, and all of a sudden the Lord said, how did the Lord say this? Did this thundering voice just come down from the pillar of cloud or the, the pillar of fire? Or, I mean, how did it come? Well, however it came, they all heard it, and they knew it was the Lord, and they responded. And so he says, I want all three of you down at the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Now, if you go through and you look at the times that the tabernacle of meeting was used, they would have the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord would come down in the cloud over top, and then when the Lord came down in the cloud, who would go inside? Moses. Moses would go inside. He didn't stand at the doorway. He walked into the tabernacle of meeting. He would have a meeting with the Lord face to face and he would come out and you remember he glowed. He glowed. And so he would come out glowing. How many know that would leave an impression? Moses coming out of the tabernacle meeting and he's glowing. Ooh. Wow, that's that's something. And so he would come out and he would glow. Now some people think that Moses came out and he put a veil over to tone down the glow so that people could hear him. That's not what he did. What Moses did was he came out of the tabernacle meeting he glowed and he let everybody see it. Y'all see? I'm glowing. I'm glowing. Is this too much for you? Tough. <laughs> That's what he would do. I don't need to have that attitude. I'm just kind of a living little... He would come out and he would glow. And so after he would get done he would take this veil and he put it over top of him so that they could not see that the glowing dissipated. And so their idea was, he's still, he's a glowing man. No, he put the veil on, Hebrews tells us, so that the people wouldn't see that the glowing dissipated over time until he got back into the tabernacle of meeting again. And then when he's back in there, that glow was restored. He'd come out, take the veil off, and let everybody see. Because you have a rebellious group of people here. They need to have the fear of God. I think it's what he's probably thinking. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to help you with that. <laughs> anyway, he has this tabernacle meeting. Spirit of God came down upon it. Moses would go inside. They would have the meeting. He would come out. He would glow. That's how this works. And not, not today. Today he says, I want all three of you to come down. And apparently, he's not waiting for them to come inside or doesn't want them to come inside or if they come inside, they die. I don't know sure which, which it is. But uh, anyway, he says, come to the doorway. And so they come to the doorway and they both went forward, Aaron and Miriam. Now, Moses wasn't there. And he said, hear now my words. You all want to say that I talk to you? Hear this. This is me talking. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. He, he left mad. <laughs> and when the clouds departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. 
Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Now, why did she get affected by the leprosy and not Aaron? Well, it's obvious she was more guilty. I mean, anybody, anytime there's some evil gossip going on, who's at the heart of it? Come on, who's at the heart of it? It's the women, right? No, that's not what it is. <laughs> the reason that she was affected with leprosy and Aaron was not, not was not about guilt, that he was not as guilty as she was because God called how many over? Both of them. They both stood there. But when the cloud lifted, only she was taken on with this leprosy. It was the office of the high priest that protected Aaron from having the leprosy. That is all. And if you want some other scriptures on that, go on over and find the death of Aaron. You will find that as soon as the robes of the high priest were taken off of Aaron, he died. There was nothing else that happened. Those That office was removed. When that office was removed from him and put on to someone else, he died. All that stuff that he had done, that that office protected him from, when that office was removed, he died. He is not the only one. I could take you through and show you other people who, when that office was removed, died. Not even just in the Bible. This is apparently something that goes on. That office can protect you. But understand, it won't protect you forever. If you ever wonder why somebody who stands in an office, why God has not judged this person, that office is protecting them. But there will come a time that office will be removed if they don't judge themselves. When that office is removed, they will die. If you ever wonder why some great healing ministers suddenly died, there's your answer. They got into something, got into pride, got into whatever it is they got into. They didn't judge themselves. God gave them time. We look at that and says, well, why doesn't God judge this? Why doesn't God take care of this? God is taking care of it, but that office is protecting him right now. But eventually that office would be removed and the death would come upon them. So, let God be God. We're not there. Don't be going out of there and doing exactly what Aaron and Miriam did. Well, I don't think that person ought to... No, don't do it. Let God take care of them. And God will. So, she gets leprosy. He doesn't. Uh, but he should have if it wasn't for the office. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on who? Us. Which means he knows he is just as guilty as she is. In which we have done foolishly. In which we have sinned. He never, he never puts us off on one person. He says both of us. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her. Oh God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people moved from... Hezeroth encamped in the wilderness of Paran. Now I put this in your outline, I believe anyway. Can you imagine the, ma- the mother Jacobed, that her kids, the the atmosphere that she had when she raised her kids, and don't think that she didn't have something to do with raising Moses, because she certainly did. She was brought in not only as the nursing mom, but I'm sure along the line she was also kept on to be doing some more things, and she had contact with Moses. Moses discovered that he was Jewish 
of Jewish origin, probably from his mom. I gave birth to you. I am your mom. Something like that came on. But can you imagine the atmosphere, the, the climate this mother must have fostered in uh, with, with her influence as a mom in the home for the two of them and even uh, with Moses who was outside the home that you have what is uh, called the worship leader for, for Israel in Miriam. You have, and some people errantly call him the first prophet. Moses is not the first prophet. You can go back in the Word of God and they'll find others before Moses. Enoch was a prophet. We even have the book of his, his prophecies, which are astounding, some of them, if you've ever read them. But we have his, uh, his prophecies as well. Uh, I'm not saying that the book of, of Enoch is inspired, ought to be in the Bible, anything like that, because if you read some of it, there's some weird... Anybody ever read the book of Enoch? All right. There's some weird stuff in there. <laughs> it's, it's like, ooh, I don't know about this one. But um, some remarkable things were written in there as well. And understand this is the man who walked closely with God and God eventually just, just took him on home. There are some, some things that he did and it's an interesting life. He even made the uh, book of Hebrews Hall of Fame. But there were some interesting things. He was certainly operating the prophet. Those are just what we know about. There was probably other ones because God always had seemed to have that voice of people that were there. There were priests before there were Levites. There was priests before there was Aaron. So there was probably prophets too. Moses was not the first prophet, but he was one of the greatest prophets. And he's the first one that God spoke with face to face. So she raises a household in which we have Aaron, the first high priest, Moses, up to that point, the greatest of, of the prophets, and then Miriam. That is quite a household to have. If you raise your kids in honor, not just obedience, but if you raise your kids in honor, it will change them. We have many kids today that are not raised in honor. They, are, they walk in dishonor and they wonder why things don't go quite the way that they should. So Miriam is shut out of the camp for the seven days. Uh, you can write this in if you want to. I didn't have room to keep it all in there. But Miriam and Aaron dishonored Moses and leprosy came upon him. This is what leprosy does. Leprosy cuts off life and feeling. We're talking about the disease leprosy. Leprosy cuts off life and feeling. You will lose the feeling in the extremity in the portion that leprosy is attacking. You won't be able to feel in it the way that you felt before. Eventually, it stops getting blood and parts of it begin to fall off. That's what actually happens. Parts of the body just begin to deteriorate and to fall off because no blood is getting to it. It just dies. And that death just continues to come on back in the rest of the body until the whole body dies and organs shut down. But it cuts off life and feeling. It causes the body to slowly die. And it also, it creates isolation. Miriam was isolated. People who had leprosy were isolated. This is what dishonor will do. It will cut off life and feeling in your spiritual life. It will cause you to slowly spiritually die. And it will create isolation. Because when you walk in dishonor, nobody is as good as you. Nobody will meet your standard. And therefore, nobody can minister to you. No one can teach you. No one can help you. And you will cut off the very supply that God has for you. That's probably why leprosy was the disease that came down upon her. Give a visible... uh, visible presentation to the people that are there. This is what happens when you walk in this kind of conversation, when you dishonor the one that God has chosen to honor. 
So God heard the dishonor spoken by Aaron and Miriam. He met them at the door of the tabernacle. He would meet Moses inside, but he met them at the door, probably because they couldn't go in. Now, we'll do the same thing in our lives. We dishonor our source. The devil wants you to act in dishonor towards those God has put in your life as a source of supply so as to cut you off from that supply. You were listening to a minister on TV. You were enjoying that minister. You were getting edified, built up. And all of a sudden, someone reports to you, have you heard this about brother, sister, so-and-so? I didn't hear. Oh, I can't be listening to that anymore. And you cut yourself off from that source. I don't even know if it's true. I just have that somebody said. If you are receiving from that source, if your spirit is being regenerated, if you're being renewed from that source, keep on listening. Just keep always listening to your spirit. I've had people, I've told you some of the people in my life that I've, I've had. I had one in particular. Boy, I, I gleaned stuff. I was gleaning so much from them that this is back in the, in the tape. How many people are still around from tape days? We had tapes. Yeah, we had tapes. Tapes, they survived for a long time. And I had tapes. And, um, I put the tape on of this guy and he just was, he just would fire stuff off so fast. I couldn't get it all. And so I would sit there with my tape recorder and I would write down word for word what he said. We didn't have transcription and all that sort of stuff, you know, this, this is, this is a long time ago. I would write down everything he said and then I'd play it some more and write down some more and play it some more, write down some more. And then I'd sit there and I'd look at it. I gotta get this. I can't, I don't understand this yet. I gotta get this. And I'd read it and I'd read it and I'd read it. Finally I would get it. Ah! Now I got it! I see us now. Okay, now I can move on to the next one. <laughs> and I would do that for the next one. Just constantly, he would be throwing this stuff out there. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. And years, years, decades went on. I just would enjoy what this person was, was doing. And then things changed. And then he started to teach some stuff that was odd. And then he began to say some things. That, Why is he saying that? In fact, one time uh, he sent a newsletter around. We were still getting his news- newsletter. My wife read the newsletter before I did. And she said, do you know that brother so-and-so wrote about this? I said, no, I didn't read this one. Yet I'll have to read that. And so I read it. And he was saying that this person ministered and said certain things. And he couldn't tell if uh, if that was true or not. And so he had to go right, meditate on it for a little while. And then he finally came away. You know what? That wasn't true. And so I didn't accept it. And I looked at that and says, dear Lord, what did you have to go away and meditate on that for? The Word of God tells you right away that's wrong. And I, I couldn't understand that. How could you not see right away that that was wrong? And so now my, my antennas are up. And so I listened to some more. And we had some of his tapes floating around here. And, and somebody came to me. They had gotten this, this big, long series of his. And they were listening to it. And they said, have you listened to that? I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you ought to listen to that. And so I listened to it. And we took all his tapes out. Took everything out. And uh, I just cut myself off from that. I don't need. I can still glean what he was getting into before, but I'm not going in the direction he's going in now. That's not a way we're, we're going to go. And so, you know, you don't hang on to that. You have to be careful. You, you, well, I've always, always liked to, this person. No, if they got off, if they started to get into things and the word of God tells you, don't be doing that. And then he took his, he took over a church and did some things, just weird stuff in the church and, I don't know where he is now. But anyway. There's other also other people that I listen to that others have said they're heresy. Well, no, they're not. I actually sat in their classes. I listened to them. I know that they're not heresy. They're, they teach the word. And so 
I don't listen to that either. There was one particular guy who wrote probably what is considered the foremost authority on false religions. I could say his name and you probably, well, some of you might know it. I mean, it's, it's not a book that everybody goes out and gets. It's not a book that most people would have on their, on their, uh, library or anywhere. It is a big book. It is a, they write very scholarly. And I'm not telling you, I'm super smart, I can understand it. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying, you, to read it, you have to go through a little slower because they're trying to write scholarly. And you don't always need to do that. This person did. And so I would uh, listen to, he was, as far as I knew, he was the foremost authority on some of these other religions that were out there. Well, then he put out one for uh, uh, Christian uh, sects or, or cults, as he put it. Well, he took some of the people that I happen to know and he wrote in the book, this is what they do, this is what they said. I said, no, hold on a minute. I know that person. They don't teach that. They don't believe that. They've never said that. If I can't trust you in the areas where I know, how can I trust you in the areas where I don't know? Because I was trusting the day he was telling me the truth on these, uh, you know, things like the Buddhism and Hinduism and such stuff like that. If I, if, I can't trust you now. If you're going to be so poorly researched to not know. So I, I threw his book out. I didn't listen to him anymore. I still know his name, but I'm not going to tell you. When I dishonor, when I walk in dishonor, I shut down what God would put in people to supply me. So if I've got some of those ministers that are supplying me, and I listen to what some brother, sister, so-and-so has said, and I say, well... I can't believe that they're following such heresy. I begin a process by dishonoring them of going in a way to cut off that supply to me. Now, a walk of dishonor begins with how we think, how we speak, things we speak about, how we act toward those things we dislike or are offended by. Let me read it again. A walk of dishonor begins with how we think Speak about or act toward those things we dislike or are offended by. This is where it begins. You see, the devil wants to come up. He wants to bring some stuff in your life that you don't necessarily like. I'm just not quite into. Don't raise your hand on this at all. Use your inside hand, please. Don't raise your hand on this at all. But how many can think of a minister, male or female, makes no difference, somebody out there that... You really don't care whether you listen to them or not. I mean, if they're on, maybe I might, but you know, I really, I I just don't, I don't care about that so much. These are the ones where the enemy tries to attack. And he begins to sow some things in you for these people that you really don't care about. They haven't really made a big mark on your life. You know, they're, they're all right. And what it will sow is just something in you to speak. I don't really know how anointed they are. I don't really know if God called them. I don't think they ought to be having such a, a a big plane. I don't think they ought to have a car like that. I heard they have a house that is... And just begin to sow some... And you begin to speak things like this. You are walking in dishonor to what does not matter to you that much. That's where it starts. Unchecked. This attitude will grow until the things we love become the things we dishonor next. This is the thing that people don't realize the process. If the devil can get you to walk in dishonor to the things that you hate, 
the things you don't like, if he can get you to walk in dishonor towards them, he can then get you to walk in dishonor to things you're indifferent about. If he can get you to walk in the things that you are indifferent about, he will then get you to walk in dishonor to things that are ministering to you, things that you love. Because he is patient and he is ready to go on this thing for a process. He knows I'm not going to get you to speak evil about this right away. We're going to have to work this this over. Bring this in. Even with Miriam. They first spoke about something about a marriage and now all of a sudden they're talking about ministry. They escalated that pretty good. Once we stop, I hope you get a hold of this, this idea here. Once we stop honoring God, our passion for God and the things that please Him begins to die. Once we stop honoring God, our passion for God and the things that please Him begins to die. People who had a passion for the things of God and after some years... You used to look at them and say, they have no passion left for God. How did they get to the place where they were so passionate about the things of God to where they don't care about God anymore? This is the path. It's the path of dishonor. They began to speak dishonorably about things of God that didn't really matter to them. And then they began to think, to speak the same way about things that sort of did some stuff for them, some good things, and we cut that source off. And then we began to hit the things that ministered to them that God put in their life. And they began to speak evil about them. And those things were cut off just as the people did to Jesus, just as Aram and Miriam did to Moses, and just as the people of Israel would do to Moses as well. This is the process that we go through. The same is true for those God put in your life. The same pattern will try and go. Do not fall into evil speaking like we've been talking about. James has, has given us light on in our Wednesday night studies. But also, don't follow these, this path of these two stories here in the Word. These two times when the hometown people met up with Jesus. This time when the brothers and sister met up with Moses. God speaks to us too. Now here's something that might be news to you. My enlightened views and wealth of knowledge are not what God uses to calibrate His church to. <laughs> that might be news to you. But there's a lot of Christians out there who do not know that. I don't think God would do that. I don't think God ministers that way. I don't think that minister ought to do that. And they begin to speak about, well, I mean, what I have, this is, this is spot on. You all need to measure up to this. Hmm. It's not quite true, is it? We all have a, have a place that we need to grow to. A spirit of honor will lead you to have honoring words for those who supply you. You will speak honoring words for those who supply you, as well as those who give, who gave birth to you, raised you, mentored you, etc. Don't be going out there and speaking evil. Speaking harshly, moms and dads. Ministers, brothers and sisters, people in the body of Christ. Don't be going out there. Speak honorably. Stay in a place of honor. Doesn't mean you can't call out sin. Jesus called out sin. He called out, and we'll look at some more of these stories as we go on, 
how do, how do they do that and still stay in this way? It's, it's pretty easy. Because whenever you speak honor to something, you are dishonoring something else. That's just a, a principle that we need to get down. Whenever I speak honor to one thing, I speak dishonor to something else. No matter what it is. I don't care how good it is. If you speak honor to something, you will speak dishonor to something else. If I speak honorably to the words of God, what do I dishonor? The words that go against it. The words of the devil. I dishonor those. You see, once I understand that principle, to speak dishonorably to the things that are against God isn't puzzling. God never told you to speak honorably to things that are against Him. But we'll have more time to get into that down the road. When we walk in the spirit of honor, in our thoughts, our words, activities, attitudes, and worship, we will change our life. We will keep our life on the path that we need to, to keep on. Now, I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come up, those that are available to us. We know we don't have them all available. But those that are, those that can, come on up. Be on your, on your spot. What I want us to do, and, and we'll spend more time on this down the road, but I want us to look at the, the aspect of honoring God in our worship. Honoring God in the things that we do here. I want you to take you to the words of a song that we just sang. That song that we sang, Jesus, Your Name. I love that song. That's an old song. I, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know where it came from, but I know Maranatha singers. They, uh, they recorded it decades ago. I loved it when they, when they did. That's, I think, my first time I had, had seen it. But listen to this and think about this in the, in the aspect of worship. Jesus, your name is power. See, we're giving honor to the name of Jesus. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Every stronghold. Don't be speaking over strongholds in your life. Contrary to this, this is what you're worshiping. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is healing. Jesus, your name gives sight. Jesus, your name will free every captive. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is holy. Jesus, your name brings light. Oh, just think about that. His name brings light. How many have ever thought darkness is all around them? Oh, I feel crowded around with dark. Jesus, your name brings light. Jesus, your name above every other. Jesus, your name is life. Would you all stand up? This is how we should be taking on worship, church. This is what we should do when we worship. We need to bring honor to the name of God. We need to bring honor to the name of Jesus. We need to bring honor to the things of God. When we worship, we need to bring honor in our minds. And the devil wants you to dishonor in worship. And this is how he will do it. We begin to sing the song, Jesus, your name is power. 
And the devil brings in a thought. Don't forget, you need to take care of this when you get home today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll take care of that. Jesus, your name is Might. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, when you go to the store, when you go to the store, you got to get this stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 I got to get that. Oh, man, I got to remember. What I am doing is instead of giving honor to the things of God, I am giving honor to all this other stuff first. I'm still giving honor to the things of God, but I'm giving God honor to the things other than God first. When you come in and we have worship together, our goal is to block everything else out of our minds. And I am going to focus solely on the things of God. This is what I'm going to focus on the things of God. I am here to worship. And when I sing those words, I picture myself in the throne room. I picture myself in the situations where his name is power. I picture the situations where his name is breaking every stronghold. This is what I do. And when I sing and I worship, I am envisioning these things. The devil wants to combat that. He wants to fill your thoughts with other stuff. Important things, but not important right now. What he wants you to establish in a pattern is that God is not first, like I declare. Because I am declaring a pattern. Every time I come into worship, if I think of other things, if I become distracted by other things, if I go in different directions, no, don't do that. When we come and we sing, we honor him above all things. So we're going to sing this song some more. As we sing this, do it this way. Jesus, your name is power. Think of the power behind the name of Jesus. Think of that power coming down in your life and changing your life. Thinking of his name as might coming in stronger than anything you need. There is no stronghold in your life that that name will not break. And as you sing, as you worship for this song, this is all that you have time for. The devil is still going to try and hit you. It is not wrong to be tempted. Just don't give in. Devil, I am not thinking about that stuff right now. Do like Jesus did. Get behind me, Satan. I am not here to be mindful of these things. That's what he said to Peter. You are not mindful of the things of God. Be mindful of the things of God. We're going to crush the enemy. Worship team, take us in. Let's begin to sing this.
touch of the power of God and alter and change it. Begin to envision that. Sing that first verse again. Jesus, your name is like this, take another song that is filled with the power of God and sing that and just worship God with me. Instead of just repeating, oh Jesus help me, oh Jesus do the oh Jesus, just sing and worship. Sing and worship. If you fill your head with worship, the devil will have a hard time filling your head with worry. Filling your head with dishonorable words. Filling your head with gossip and evil speaking and all the other things that are trying to get you sidelined, sidetracked with. Don't let them do it. Spend some time and just begin to worship. Just begin to sing. Let Let these words go over on the inside of you. Even if you don't sing it out loud, because of where you are, if you just sing it on the inside. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. 
Jesus, the name that breaks every stronghold. Jesus. That old devil have a hard time bringing you into a place where he gets the victory. Because when we honor God, he opens the door for us to honor him. Father, we thank you for the power of worship in our life. There is no divine power behind words of anger, worry, fear, distrust, dishonor. But when we honor you with our words, when we honor you with our heart, we honor you with our attitude. When we worship, when the enemy would like us to cower in fear, we change our situation. I pray for each person here, each person listening, that we will not be satisfied with dishonoring words, dishonoring attitudes, and dishonoring conduct. We will bring honor to the things of God and open the door for that honor. Bring to us what you desire. Aaron and Miriam had some great offices they sat in. And through dishonor, they almost lost them. The devil knows he can move us into the dishonoring the things of God. What he would do to our lives. But I thank you that your word teaches us and instructs us. And when we take all his temptations and we come back and just worship you, we bring honor to your name and open the door for you to do what you said you would do. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. This week as you're going through life and then see the things that you are faced and those words of worship come up. Remember your prayers report cards. Write something down on there. Let people know this is what God did because I changed my words. I changed my thinking. I changed my actions. Moms, have a great day. We have a gift for you out here in the back as you make your way out. Enjoy whatever the celebrations that are in front of you. Thank you, worship team, for coming up. Have a good rest of your day. Bless the people.